As I had mentioned to you earlier, today we're talking about testing and being tested by God, being tested by trials in our life. Let me ask you this question. Why do we have tests? Why do we have tests at all? Well, it's to assess a person's attribute in a certain area, right? So it is to assess maybe their athletic ability, their speed, right? We have speed tests to see how fast people are. We have the ACT and SAT to see the intelligence of people. We have tests to assess the strength of a person in a certain area. It reminds me of a story that I read about three elderly men who go to the doctor to have their memory test. And as they are there, the doctor asks them this question. He says, what is one plus one? And he goes down the line and he asks him the question, what is one plus one? So he asks the first guy, the elderly man, what is one plus one? And his response is 274. All right. Does he pass the test? No. He asks the second guy, what is one plus one? And the man's response is Tuesday. All right. Does he pass the test? No. The third man, he asks the exact same question again. He says, what is one plus one? And his response is two. And the doctor is elated. He says, very good. That is great. How did you come to that answer? And he said, that's easy. 274 minus Tuesday is two. But you see, the test is given to see if, they, if their memory is up to par. And obviously, they all failed the test. Today, God gives Abraham a test, probably the most difficult test ever found in the entire Bible. If you would open up to Genesis chapter 20, um, today's passage is famous. It's, you're probably familiar with it. If you've been to church or talked about the Bible or ever seen a children's Bible, you've probably heard this story. But I want to make sure that we catch the gravity of this story. I want to follow the storyline slowly. Usually we read through the entire passage and then dig back through it. But we're going to break it up in parts today so that we can feel the weight of the narrative as it goes along. And so the one thing I would ask of you is if you are familiar with this story, I'd ask you to forget it, to forget the ending, to read it afresh for the very first time and feel the tension that's in this story. This story has been debated among many people in many religions as far as what is the purpose of it. It leads us to question God's character. It leads us to question the strength of our own faith. It is really a story almost like no other that you would ever see. And so we're going to look at it today and we're going to read through it in part. So let me open us in prayer and then we'll start. Gracious God, I pray that as we read this story of Abraham, and Isaac, that we would read it afresh, God, that we could read it for the first time and see the beauty of your love for us in Christ. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Look with me, Genesis chapter 22, page 16 in the Red Bible, I believe. We're going to read verses 1 and 2. We're going to start there. After these things, God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. The test for Abraham is very 
simple in nature, isn't it? Sacrifice your son. But it is extremely difficult to stomach, isn't it? What kind of God would ask Abraham to do this? Does God know what he's asking him? You know, for any of us, I think we could relate to this. Even if we don't have children, what would it be like if God called us to sacrifice our child? It would be horrible. And yet for Abraham, it was probably even more difficult. Abraham had waited hundreds, 100 years to have his first child. Once he had this first child, uh, Then he had raised his child. Isaac was probably around uh, anywhere between 15 and 35. And so he had a tradition with his child. They had played ball together. They had tickled. They had, you know, all those things, gone fishing together. And now God comes to him and he emphasizes your only son, Isaac, the one whom you love. You know, in some ways, Abraham had the American dream. He had a family. He had land, he had water, he had riches, and yet in these first two verses, God seems to be shattering that dream. God is testing Abraham. You know, just a few weeks ago, uh, Trish and I sent our kids away to the grandparents, which is always a relief. Uh, The oldest three kids went away, we kept Cooper. It's a relief because we get a little bit of a break from the chaos of life. But at the same time, it's kind of scary. Maybe you've done this. You send them away. All three of them are driving in the car with grandma and grandpa. And maybe your imagination goes to the worst and you fear that something will happen to them. You know, when that was going on, when they were over there, I asked myself the question, God, how would I be if something happened to my kids? And the answer is I would be a complete wreck. Some of you have experienced this. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. But I pray, God, give me the faith to believe that you are in control, God, that you can care for them, that their days are numbered by you and not by the world. God knew the severity of what he was asking Abraham, his only son, his beloved son, go and sacrifice him. And so we see how Abraham responds. Abraham responds with tremendous faith, tremendous faith that comes by tremendous obedience. So let's continue the story and see Abraham's obedience. Verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here am I, son. He said, Behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told them, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order in order, and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. 
Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. Wow. The faith of Abraham is amazing, isn't it? See, we can tell the faith of Abraham, the invisible faith of Abraham, by his visible obedience, can't we? You know, you can tell faith by visible obedience. You look at someone who takes amazing steps of faith, amazing steps of obedience, such as Abraham. You say, that is a person of great faith. And so let's take an opportunity to look a little bit at Abraham's obedience. First, we see it was immediate obedience. God makes a command one day. And then in verse 2, we find out that the very next morning, Abraham arose. He gathered his supplies. He gathered his son. He gathered his servants. And he headed out. This is far different than Lot. Do you remember when, when God came to Lot and said, come out of the city? And Lot resisted. Lot was sluggish. He didn't come out of the city. And so God had to drag him out. But we see Abraham responding with immediate obedience. The very next morning, even though the test, even though the calling was more difficult than anything we could imagine, he followed immediately. We also see he had hopeful obedience. We see the evidence of this throughout the passage, and we'll see it in different places. But where, where we see it here is Genesis 22.5, and I'm going to read from the NIV. It will be up here because it emphasizes the hope that Abraham had more than the ESV does. It says, he said to his servant, Abraham said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. And then listen to this. It's subtle, but it's there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and we will come back to you. You know, it, there's this tension in this passage for Abraham. There's a contradiction in this command of God. You see, the command of God contradicts the promise of God. The promise of God was this. Isaac will have children. Isaac will have lots of children. And his children will have children. But Isaac had not yet had a child. And so God's command is you must sacrifice your child. But the command is your child will have children. And so there's this apparent contradiction. And what's amazing is that Abraham follows the command of God, even though it doesn't seem to make sense, even though it seems to contradict his promise. And Abraham follows it, holding on to the promise of God, that God will indeed give descendants through Isaac, even if he sacrifices him. Hebrews 11 talks about it in this way. It says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. You see the tension there. And then verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. You see, Abraham had experienced the promises of God being fulfilled in impossible situations time and time again. You may remember Abraham was just this random guy in Ur. And God promised him a family, promised him a child, promised him a land, a nation. All of these were impossible dreams. And yet one by one, God was fulfilling those promises, even giving his barren wife 
who was postmenopausal at the age of 90, a child. Him at 100, having a child. And so against all odds, God delivers on his promises. And so Abraham here sees the command of God. It seems to contradict the promise of God, but he holds on to the promises of God, even in the midst of following commands that are very difficult to do. And so we see Abraham had a hopeful obedience. We also see Abraham had a sacrificial obedience. We see in this story, it kind of slows down and it draws detail as we see that the the pain and the agony of what Abraham went through. In verse 9, it says, when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. You know, I told you to forget what the end of this story is like. And you can't fully, I know that. But Abraham did not know what was coming next. He didn't. For Abraham, he was going to slaughter his son. He was going to cut him to pieces and burn him. Sometimes obeying God takes great sacrifice, doesn't it? It might mean giving up your time to love your neighbor. It might be giving up your agenda or your opinions or your fights to love your wife or to respect your husband. God calls us to an extraordinary obedience, an immediate obedience, a hopeful obedience. He calls us to a sacrificial obedience. Obedience. You know, usually I put in an illustration here of someone who has obeyed, and it's amazing of the sacrifice that they've given. But really, the best illustration of this is our father Abraham. Even the writer of James believed that to be true. And he says this in James 2.14. It should be up here. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? We're actually going through this in our community group. And the point that James is making is that if you say you have faith, but it does not transform your life, if it does not bear fruit, if it does not draw you into obedience to the living God, yes, you have faith, but it is not saving faith. It is futile faith. And then he goes on to give examples of this. Verse 15, he says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? And then he gives an example from Abraham. He says, was not our ancestor Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God And it was credited to him as righteousness. And he was called God's friend. You see, what it's telling us here is that if you have genuine faith in God, if God gives you the faith to withstand tests, then you will long and desire to obey God. You will look at the word of God and you will allow it to confront your desires. You will allow it to cross your will. And you will say, I believe this, but the word of God says I must do this. And I must obey, and I will obey, and I will try to obey. Will we be successful all the time? Certainly not. But we are changed and transformed to follow the will 
of God in our life. So we see Abraham's obedience. We see his great faith. We see his faith bearing fruit in his obedience. But then we also see God's provision in this story. First, we see God provides a substitute. Let's continue in verse 10. It says, And Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. Jehovah Jireh. That literally means the Lord provides, or the Lord will see to it. Abraham told his son when he asked, Father, where is the lamb? Abraham said, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. And did the Lord provide? Yes, indeed. The Lord provided a substitute. He provided a ram to die in Isaac's place. We also see God provides a wife for Isaac. That may not sound like a big deal, but God had promised Isaac many children. And so God talks about it. First, we see his promise reaffirmed by Abraham's faith. In verse 15, it says, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. Now let me pause there for a minute. Remember, God has given this test not so that he knows what's in Abraham's heart. He already knows. He knows the thoughts of men. He knows the faith of men. He knows what the outcome is going to be. There's never a surprise for God. He gives the test so Abraham might see the faith that God has given to him. And he says, because of that faith, I'm going to fulfill my promise. And he re-clarifies it, rededicates it to him. Here in verse 17, he says, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men and they arose and went together to Beersheba and Abraham lived in Beersheba. And so God's promise to Abraham was that he would have grandkids, that he would have great grandkids, that he would have great, great, great grandkids and so on and so forth. And these grandkids would lead to a grandkid that would be victorious over their enemies, that their grandkids would be a blessing to the nations. But the problem is, is that Isaac was a single guy. Isaac was living in the midst of the Philistines, of women who did not believe in the Lord God. And the question was, how will God possibly provide a woman who worships the Lord God for Isaac to marry? And the Lord goes on to explain that here in these verses. Verse 20. Now, after these things, it was told to Abraham, Behold, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor. Uz, his firstborn, Buzz, his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlath, and Bethuel, 
And then here it is. Bethuel fathered Rebekah. Rebekah would eventually be the wife of Isaac. It would be through Rebekah that God would fulfill his promise of children, of descendants. And so you see here, God is saying, I will provide. I am Jehovah Jireh. I will see to it. Not only will I provide a substitute for Isaac, but I will provide to make my promises true. I will provide a godly wife for him. It goes on to continue the genealogy. These eight, Milcah bore Nahor, Abraham's brother. Moreover, his concubine, whose name was Rumah, bore to Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Mecca. The Lord is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord provides for his promises. The Lord provides for his calling. You know, I have many examples of how the Lord has provided throughout my life. Many of you probably have some that you could share as well. One of the ones that sticks out to me the most, and you may have heard this before, is just in seminary. You know, I laugh. Some people say, I want to go to seminary, but I don't have very much money. And it makes me laugh because no one could afford to be at seminary. Well, about 90% of the people literally came to seminary broke. They had kids and they had wife, and yet they had no money for seminary. And yet for each one of those people, it was amazing to see how God would provide for them to be there because he has called them to that place. For Trish and I, Trish had a job. She was a teacher. Uh, We made ends meet. We got through, uh, through a crazy uh, circumstance. I can't explain it all to you, but we bought a house and we were only paying $300 a month for it in mortgage. And so God provided for us. My friend, Stephen, this is my favorite story. He was praying, Lord God, I owe my roommate $20. I have no idea where I'm going to get $20. And he was picking weeds. And as he's praying, he pulls up a weed. And below the weed in the dirt is a $20 bill. The Lord provides with Jacob's well. As the Lord's calling me to plant Jacob's well. You know, I'm, I'm in charge of raising funds to make this happen. You're supposed to raise around $300,000, 100000 a year for the first three years to get it off the ground. I am a horrible fundraiser. I raised about $18,000 right? That is absolutely pathetic, isn't it? It's pathetic. You do not want me as your salesman. And yet the Lord provided. He provided through people gathering to Jacob's well, being generous with their finances, not for me asking them, they're just giving it. And so you see that God is Jehovah Jireh, even in the midst of tests. And so whatever God is calling you to, whatever his promises are, he will provide. He is Jehovah Jireh. Okay, now what I want to do is I want to take two honest questions that come because this is a difficult text to look at. And and these are two questions that I think all of us probably ask of this text, okay? The first is this. The first honest question is this. What would I do, right? If I was Abraham and God called me to sacrifice my child, what would I do? Don't you ask that question? Don't you say, man, do I have enough faith? like Abraham, that I would do something like that? You know, I look at this passage and I say, there is no freaking way I would do this, right? I would lean much more upon God's forgiveness than being obedient to God, right? God will forgive me if I don't do this, right? Would you do this? Would you sacrifice your child? I know some of you are sitting next to your children, so children, you better obey. But would you sacrifice your child if God called you to? And I just want to give you two answers to that. The first is this. 
You do not muster up your own faith. I don't muster up my own faith. I'm not the one, I'm not the initiator of my faith. I am not the source of my faith. God is the source of our faith. Ephesians 2, 8 tells us that our faith is a gift from God. And so I trust the God who tests me to be the same God to give me the faith to endure that test. Does that make sense? It's not that I'm saying, hey, do I have enough faith in and of myself? No, I don't. But when God puts us through a test, he gives us the faith to go through it and worship God. We saw Jason come up here. I look at Jason and I say, could I do that? In my own mind, no freaking way. I love sports. That is one of the biggest things in my life. And to be in a, in a lifestyle where I could only lift 10 pounds, where I could never lift my kids ever again, where I could never play sports ever again, would I have faith to endure that and worship God? In and of myself, no way. But I tell you what, Jason Perkins doesn't either. It is God who has given him the faith to worship him. It is God who has strengthened his faith to worship him in the midst of this. The same with Abraham. It is God who has strengthened his faith to get through this test and get through this trial. You know, I don't have faith in God that would lead me to do what Abraham did and praise him. But I do trust in the God who can give me the faith in the midst of trials. And so the first hard question is, what would you do if you were Abraham? What would you do if you were in Abraham's shoes? And the answer is, it really doesn't matter. Because God would give you the faith through the trials, through the tests in your life. What really matters is, what are the tests God has in your lives? My I, I can almost guarantee this. God will never call you to sacrifice your child. That will not be a test that he lays upon you. But each of you are in the midst of tests. Each of you are in the midst of trials. Aren't you? And God is giving you the faith to follow him in obedience in the midst of those tests, in the midst of those trials. And so it doesn't matter if you would do what Abraham do, did. The question is, are you obedient to God in the midst of the trials and the tests that he has put in your life? This past week, I said to Trish, it was on Tuesday, so it was early in the week. And I said, Trish, it feels like the wheels have fallen off the bus. She says, what do you mean? I said, everything is crazy at work at the church. Why is that? Well, so many people in our church were going through trials and tests. We have people this week who had emergency surgery to save their lives. We've had people this week whose moms was diagnosed with cancer, and then maybe it's not cancer. Oh, yes, it really is cancer. Those are tests. Those are trials. Those are difficult. We have marriages, plural, many, that are struggling. And the test is this. Will you follow God? God has given you the faith to trust him and to worship him and to serve him in the midst of the trials of your life. Those are the tests you have, not Abraham's. Your tests are different, but God is faithful to give you the faith to get through those things. Just enough, your daily bread, to trust him and to worship him and to give glory to him. So that's the first honest question. What would I do? Doesn't matter. What would you do in your situation with your test? The second honest question is this. Why did God do this to Abraham? You know, why did God use this as a test for Abraham? It seems kind of sick and twisted, doesn't it? It seems kind of sadistic. I mean, if we're honest, Abraham comes or God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, you know that son 
who you love, who you delight in, who you cherish, who is your future, who is your hope. You know that kid that you love so much? Abraham's like, yeah, I know that kid. He says, sacrifice him, cut him to pieces, burn him. I mean, isn't that weird? And then, and then, and then when he's there raising his dagger, God goes, oh, wait, 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 wait. Okay, I was just testing you. Just testing you, it's okay. Like, that's sadistic, isn't it? Isn't that crazy? Why would God do this? Is it because God hates us? Is it because God's toying with us? And no, the answer is actually the exact opposite. God goes through this test to show you and to show me and to show Abraham and Isaac how much he loves us. Let's put ourselves in Abraham's place for a second, okay? We all feel for Abraham. Abraham is called to sacrifice the son that he loves and cherishes, his only son. Do we know of another father who has given up his only son? When God sends Jesus to earth, when the father sends Jesus to earth and he's baptized, after the baptism, it says that a voice from heaven came and said, this is my son whom I Love with him, I am well pleased. Our heavenly father loves his son, Jesus, more than Abraham or us could ever fathom or imagine. And yet, this only beloved son was resting on another wood, on another sacrifice of wood. And when the death, the hand of death was raised, there was no voice from heaven saying, wait, wait. There was only science. Silence as God brought down the dagger of death upon Christ to be an atonement for you and for me. And this was the son that he cherished and loved more than anything we can imagine. And so you see through this example of Abraham, we can understand that God loves us more than we could ever hope. We also see that God shows us his love as we put ourselves in Isaac's place. Maybe you've never done this before and this is new for me. But do you remember in the journey, Isaac asked Abraham, he says, Father, who will provide the sacrifice, right? Who provide the lamb? And Abraham says, God will provide the lamb, right? God will provide the lamb. God didn't provide a lamb. God provided a ram, okay? And so the question is, did God change the plan? Did God not hear them correctly? Not at all. On that same hill, Mount Moriah, where Jerusalem is, God would provide a lamb. The lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. He would send the ultimate Isaac to be a substitute for you and for me that we would live while he dies on our behalf. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see that the Lord is Jehovah Jireh because he has provided a substitute for you and for me, his only beloved Son, you see, we should have died, but Christ died on our behalf. And so we see the story of Abraham. Why would God do this? It's to show us how much he loves, that we might empathize and understand what he gave up and understand what Christ went through on our behalf. Let me end with this story. Horatio Spafford was a successful lawyer in Chicago in the 1860s. He had the American dream. He had wife, he had kids, he was rich. He had a lot of uh, investment in real estate. He was well off. 
And then his faith started to be tested severely. His only son, four years old, died of scarlet fever. A year later, the Chicago fire wiped out his entire real estate investment, the entire thing. Shortly later, he decided to take his daughters, his four daughters and his wife, on a trip to England to, to, to let them be relieved from the suffering and the pain. And they got to New York City, and, and when he was there, uh, he, was, he was delayed by some business, and so he sent his wife and four daughters off on a ship to go on vacation. Nine days later, he received a telegram that said, Saved Alone. The ship sank. His wife survived because she landed on a plank of wood. And all four of his daughters died. As he traveled across the ocean to go be with his wife and grieve with her, the captain of the ship made an announcement saying, from our best estimate, this is the place where the ship went down. This is where it sank and many died. In response, he went back to his cabin and he looked up Second Kings 4 which is a story of a woman who, who, who was given a son in her old age. She was barren by the prophet Elisha. And then the son sat on her lap and died. And she comes to the prophet Elijah, and Elijah sends out his servant. And he says, he says to the servant, ask her if everything's okay. And so the servant comes out, and this is what he says. He says, is all well with you? Is all well with your husband? Is all well with the child? And she answered, All is well. With this mind, with this framework, with this peace of God, Horatio penned a hymn that we're going to sing here very soon. It is well with my soul. Horatio's faith was tested. Abraham's faith was tested. Your faith is tested. But we worship a God who gives us the faith to endure those tests, to endure those hardships. The God who sent Isaac, the God who provides the Jehovah Jireh, the God who provided a substitute for Isaac is the same God who provides faith for you and me to get through the tests and trials of this life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage, Lord. Thank you that you have provided for us in Christ that we no longer have to endure our sin, God, but that we are made alive because of his substitute in our place, his atonement for our sin. We praise you for this, and we pray that you would grow us in our faith through the trials of our life because we know that you will. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.